Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Molly Rands. And I'm Joanne Hathaway. We are very pleased to have David Jaffe and Janet Stearns join us today as our podcast guest. David has served as Associate Dean for Student Affairs at American University of Washington College of Law since 1997. He has served with the D.C. Bar Lawyer Assistance Program, with the ABA Commission on Lawyer Assistance Programs Law School Assistance Committee, and with the Institute for Wellbeing in Law. David co-piloted the National Survey of Law Student Wellbeing in 2014 and then again in 2022, was lead author for the law school section of The Path to Lawyer Wellbeing, Practical Recommendations for Positive Change, and he also co-authored Conduct Yourselves Accordingly, Amending Bar Character and Fitness Questions to Promote Lawyer Wellbeing. With his comrade, also in arms, and good friend, Janet Stearns. Dean Janet Stearns started at the University of Miami School of Law in 1999 and became Dean of Students in 2007. She chairs the Law School Committee of the ABA Commission on Lawyers Assistance Programs. The AALS Student Services section presented her with the Kudakalakas Award in 2022. And to you both, would you please share some additional information about yourselves with our listeners? And let's start with you, David. Thanks, Joanne, and thanks for having us today. I love what I do. I love working with law students. For those of you in the profession who end up listening to the podcast, if, if I can be of any help going forward, I welcome it. I also encourage you to make sure you're taking out regular time in your day for yourselves. I like to add that I try to be in the moment whenever I can with my daughters. They get older every day, and I really enjoy my time with them as, as I enjoy with my students. Janet, how about you? Thanks, David, and thanks, Joanne, for having us today. I would just add, I came to the University of Miami when my twin sons were a year old and uh, went to the nursery school here at the University of Miami. And now, over all these years, they're 24 and really the age of our law students. They, too, graduated in 2020 from college during the pandemic. So my children continue to teach me a lot about what our students are going through in this pandemic and how we can do better. I, like David, try to focus a lot on my own well-being so that I have the energy and the resilience to support everyone around me. I do a lot of walking. I do a lot of yoga that helps me keep my focus. Thank you both so much for being here with us today. David, let's start with you. We continue to talk about significant mental health concerns among law students. Can you help us understand what data we have on this? And also, what has COVID meant to law students and really the law student population in general? So as mentioned off the top, I had the, the real pleasure of co-piloting uh, national surveys of law students and well-being in 2014, again in 2022. What we did not see, what we were hopeful of, was that we were going to see some developments between the two surveys, that the results of the first survey would get out to law schools and law schools would be paying that much more attention in the numbers and maybe focusing on different new slash better practices in schools. And schools indeed may be doing that. I think we'll have a chance to talk some more about where schools are over these last seven, eight, nine years. However, the numbers did really not really prove themselves out in 2022. In fact, what we saw was that numbers, particularly around depression and anxiety diagnoses, had risen. 
up to 33%, a third of the respondents had indicated being diagnosed with depression and 40% for anxiety. Suicidal ideation had increased from 20 to 33% between 2014 and 2022. And over 80% had reported having received, experienced some trauma in their lives. So this would most typically, presumably be prior to law school, but certainly issues and challenges that the, the students were bringing forward. COVID has, as it has with all of us, has certainly played a role in all of this. We thought with respect to the surveys that we did see some good numbers. For example, we saw that the the sharing of prescription drugs, the, the percentage of students who were sharing prescription drugs with one another had decreased as well as the numbers around binge drinking had decreased. However, we wanted to be careful in that during COVID with the more extensive isolation, these are two areas where students were not seeing each other or spending time with each other as often. And so it may be that those decrease in numbers is a little bit of an attribution to COVID and, and not necessarily a positive. And then I think just overall, as we've all seen, the, the challenges with COVID and coming back from it, at least from my perspective, is really reestablishing kind of community Comfort level, some of the anxieties with you know family issues with illnesses that have come out from it have certainly left challenges for all of us in the community and and certainly for our students issues that we need to continue to to focus on and work on and for you, Janet, what do you find surprising in this data when thinking about ongoing services and advocacy for law students? David and I participated really began our collaboration around the time of the two thousand and fourteen study and After that study, we worked really hard through the ABA and through other national organizations of law schools and and law students, law student deans, deans of students like ourselves. We did a lot of work to try to destigmatize getting help, to talk about mental health resources, to talk about substance use resources. We've had Twitter town halls. We have had webcasts, we have had student events, we have had social media campaigns, and we've created videos. And and after all of that, what we really expected was that there was going to be a much more open perception by students that they could get help, that they could get help, that they could ask for help, that they could come to people like me and David and say, I'm having a hard time and I need something. And in fact, in the 2021 survey, we learned that we had not moved the needle at all on the measurement of their reluctance to access help and the reasons that they were reluctant to access help. And again, the number one reason that they continue to tell us is that they're really afraid that if they ask for help, that we will document this and somehow keep them from ever becoming a lawyer. So that in and of itself is still really surprising and frustrating to us and motivating as we try to think now about how to respond to the 2021 survey. I would say the other thing that continues to really worry me is that as much as we think about well-being in its very broadest sense, the rubber really hits the road for me with suicide prevention and knowing the very serious responsibility that we have when we have people in our community, law students and recent graduates who are thinking about suicide and in some cases completing suicide. So the 2021 survey also shows us that somewhere in the area of 11% of our students have seriously thought about suicide in the prior 12 months. At my law school, University of Miami, 
we have about 1,300 students. So that 11%, well over 100 students in my community who may be seriously thinking about suicide, it is a daunting number. It's a number that, that is very sobering as we think about resources on our team and training to make sure that we're really prepared to, to deal with suicide prevention. I would simply add so that it's not too much of a kind of a sobering and a down podcast for us. We, Janet and I, have been in the profession long enough to have been here at a time that we really were not focusing on these issues much at all. Right. It's not it was not so many years ago where, if not directly, we were kind of indirectly told not to be focusing on stress and anxiety and issues of depression and drinking at orientation, that it would be frowned upon because students would think there was a problem at our law school as if it were not a problem kind of widespread. The intervening, you know, pick a number, seven, eight, ten years has really been a, a watershed in terms of kind of flow of information, of a greater comfort level of awareness and self-awareness around the issues we're discussing, and so that we are talking about it more. It is a big ship moving ever so slowly. To some degree, we kind of follow, we seem to parallel or at least are tracking what's taking place in the legal profession where our students are heading ultimately, and that is similarly, you know, a number of challenges with a number of the similar issues we're discussing here. So like Janet, my colleague, I tend to be an eternal optimist somewhat tempered by, you know, sometimes frustration and not seeing these numbers and then a needle move as quickly as we'd like it to. But we believe, I'd like to believe that we're, we're trending in the right direction in that regard. I think that's a really good point, David, because I have been the director of our lawyers and judges assistance program for, you know, 11 plus years. And I remember a time when I would call the law schools in Michigan and ask to come out and talk about, you know, law student well-being and be told, you know, we don't have any of those issues here. And now, you know, fast forward a decade and, you know, most all of our schools in Michigan are welcoming me with open arms and inviting me back. So I think that's a really valid point to make. And with the information that you've both shared, can you give us your opinions as to whether the profession is better off now than it was 10 years ago? You know, how that might relate to today's law student and what else might need to change? Janet, do you want to start with that one? So thank you for that. First, I'm going to agree with David that I too am an optimist. I too really try to have gratitude for the students I've been able to help, the students who have, you know, appreciated me and where, where our interventions have made a huge difference, both on the individual case and I think also systemically at our school and I think more systemically in the, you know, law school community. So I, I am an optimist. I think the needs are great. However, I think there is, especially post-pandemic, I think there's a lot of awareness about these issues. And I'm also a big believer. I like to talk about the gifts of the pandemic. My hashtag has not really taken on in a big way, but maybe through this podcast, I'm a big believer that we can really find, you know, one of the gifts of this pandemic was that I think people in general, and that includes law teachers, law students, we were all going through this big thing together and we were able to share and be a little more human about the struggles that we were facing and the ways that we were responding and also things that we were doing in our lives, whether it was baking bread or knitting or, you know, learning how to play the piano, that helped us find our strength and our resilience in a really difficult time. So I think that we're still beginning, just beginning to really understand the full impact of the pandemic time on our community and on our profession. 
I would just add to that again, and maybe to my, my remarks a couple of minutes ago, we need to keep kind of pushing, you know, we need to advocate, we need to support those who are looking for change. We need to agitate in the legal profession. I had a conversation recently about law firms that are promoting wellness, but the wellness, their programs or initiatives are internal. Obviously they are internal, but that they're not, they don't appear on their websites, absent some exceptions, which leads one to kind of question why, and also leads our students who want to be advocates and support themselves to be asking those questions. Not the question, why isn't on your website, but when they're applying to law firms to be, I use the word brave, to be brave enough to ask what the law firm is doing around well-being. And I say brave because we're still in the posture here where the presumption might be, well, you know, gee, why did why did that applicant ask about our well-being program at our firm? She or, or he must have, you know, some issue. Maybe we should be looking somewhere else. We need to turn that tide. We need to be asking that question so often that it's the law firms who are tripping over themselves to ensure that they are out front and leading around well-being. Because it's a tough, that's a tough row for students to have to do. In the same breath, I think that we will, and, and, and not to knock, you know, more senior generations, but as we have students who are coming through the ranks and are more self-aware and also feeling supported by their law schools and so that they want to promote it, those students, among others, are becoming our law professors, right, our academicians, not just associates and partners at firms, but individuals who will be coming through and at law school seeing that much more the importance of supporting the student outside as well as inside the classroom. So it is a village. It is going to take some time, but we need to keep reminding every entering class, every group of students, we have to remind ourselves that it's a new class that has not seen what we did a day before, a week before, a semester before. So we have our roles to play, the profession, the law firms, the, you know, Middle size, large size, whatever it is, need to remind themselves that every entering class, every summer associate class also ought to be supported in that regard and, and ensure that they're taking the steps to do so. This is such an excellent conversation. We are going to take just a short break from our talk with David Jaffe and Janet Stearns to thank our sponsors. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com slash simple. Welcome back. We are thrilled to be here today with David Jaffe and Janet Stearns, leaders in the field of law student well-being. And with this next question, we'll start with you, Janet. What are some initiatives the ABA Commission on Lawyer Assistance Programs is doing to address these specific types of concerns? Thank you for the question, Joanne. Through the ABA COLAP, we have a law school committee, and our law school committee includes lawyers, it includes law school deans of students, it includes people who are working at the various lawyer assistance programs in different states, and it also includes representatives of the ABA law student division, so we have law students at the table with us. 
One of our signature initiatives is Mental Health Day. And we're really always very proud of Mental Health Day. And going to our earlier conversation about how the movement has changed, it used to be that as we would come through the summer, we would start to let people know, don't forget, October is Mental Health Day, and we're going to, you know, we need to plan things. Now, I have to tell you, by August, I have people all over the country writing me like, what's happening this year for Mental Health Day? Because we want to plan our programming around yours. So this is a beautiful thing. Mental Health Day now is celebrated on October 10th, which is World Mental Health Day. And we work each year with the law student division to try to plan some national campaign that sometimes involves videos, it sometimes involves webinars and speakers. One year we did a Twitter town hall, sometimes we do more like social media campaigns, but we try to do something each year that helps to create energy from coast to coast, law school to law school, and often that creates the opportunity for labs to go to the law schools and get boots on the ground and really talk to law students and hear what's what's worrying them. So October 10th is still uh, really a signature event for us each year. Our committee is also deeply interested in institutional change. And we have been very strategic. We've taken on several other initiatives. First, I'd like to highlight just last year in February of 2022, we were successful in advocating to the ABA to make some significant changes in the accreditation standards for law schools. And the accreditation standards for law schools are really significant because this becomes then a baseline by which every law school's dean and faculty must measure themselves as they go for their regular accreditation review. And so we were able to build a coalition and to make sure for the first time that the accreditation standards speak to the importance of well-being resources. It speaks to the importance of making sure that every law school either has these resources or is partnering with a lab to make sure that they are provided to students. And also talks further about the, the significance of destigmatizing any, any efforts at help seeking activities, as we were discussing earlier. So these just passed a year ago, and I think we're just about to start to see the full impact of our efforts, but we're really, really proud of this legacy. Next, we are currently in a process of reevaluating the ABA's model conditional bar admission rule. About half the states in our country have some version of a model conditional bar admission rule that could come into play if an applicant had some history of substance use or mental health that was going to keep them from becoming fully admitted. And of course, our primary goal is trying to help every single law student become fully admitted. But we do want to make sure that the conditional bar admission rules are appropriate and narrowly tailored. And so our committee is taking a close look at that right now. And third, I just want to focus that we are taking a very close look right now at how different law schools have policies around leave of absence for either substance use or mental health reasons and how the return to school after the leave plays out. 
We're aware that some universities in our country have been under attack on these issues recently. And again, this goes to destigmatizing and supporting students when they want to reach out for help, that they should not be fearful that a school is going to kick them out just because they asked for help. So we are taking a hard look at that. I think the final issue that we've done a lot of work on, and I'd like to turn this over to my partner in crime, David, to talk a little more about the Character and Fitness Initiative. Thanks, Janet. So particularly a, a passion of mine, but, but shared by Janet and a number of individuals around the country, has been this ongoing effort to advocate for states to either blunt, as I would say, or significantly reduce or remove what we consider invasive questions on the character and fitness portion of the bar exam. These former questions that used to talk about, have you ever been diagnosed with X, Y, and Z, which were largely reduced in a, in a 2014 consent decree in Louisiana, about which you certainly can read more, has still had a number of states retain questions that ask about condition or impairment, which is very much approximating issues around substance use and mental health. And so we have been working with states suggesting to them, among other things, that these questions continue to have a deterrent effect on our law students from getting help while in school. And that if we can't, if we are hard pressed as deans of students to counsel our students around the type of questions they're going to have to answer, then we are kind of handcuffing ourselves in terms of ensuring that the students get the help they need. Better said, these students are oftentimes concerned that if they get help while in law school, they have a real chance of getting delayed or denied admission to the bar because of a question that the bar is asking. We've had back and forth in a number of states. We are thrilled, and this work was not all ours. A number of states, Massachusetts is one example, had never asked questions around mental health, but other states have looked at these questions and have considered either removing the question altogether, in some instances modifying the question to focus on conduct or behavior, which we by and large deem to be appropriate questions, or to remove the questions altogether. And so at last count, about half the states in the country have made significant changes in these questions. There are probably another 10 or so states that are currently discussing possible reform, and we've seen in almost every instance when this conversation starts, it has yielded positive results, which suggest to us that this is just a matter of, of raising this issue and underscoring the importance of it. Certainly still more than a handful of states that have continued to focus on the traditional questions, and, and we will continue to make it our goal through the Law School Assistance Committee to advocate for change wherever we can. It, it is a committee that is robust, it is exciting. It is doing a lot of work each year. And I'll put in a quick plug for anybody who's listening to the podcast who may have an interest in learning more. Please, please, please reach out to Janet or to me, because if we can bring you on board, we'd love to be able to do so. Thank you both. I am proud and grateful to say that Michigan has adjusted our questions. So hopefully we see, you know, some of those changes taking place. And we are grateful for that. Yes, absolutely. I would just add to that, that in 2020, right when the pandemic started, what I would consider one of the greatest gifts of the pandemic, we actually had four states that very quickly acted to remove questions, really in response, I believe, to the mental distress that was being articulated by students as we were you know, facing so much uncertainty about the bar exams. So New York, shortly after the pandemic, then Michigan, with a big shout out to Michigan, and quickly followed by Indiana, and then New Hampshire. And as David mentioned, we've had a number of states since then, but I think it truly is a great testament to your great state of Michigan that you were able to 
really act decisively at such a critical time for students. Absolutely. Before we wrap up today, I'd like to ask this question of the both of you, and maybe we can start with you, David. You both bring so much passion and drive and commitment to addressing the importance of law student well-being and these these really vital issues. And I know as the director of a LAP, I know how tiring you know this work can sometimes become. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about what inspires you to continue doing this challenging work really year after year. I love unscripted questions because it actually, in this case, I had taken a little note on the side, something I'd hoped to mention and, and something that Janet has said had triggered it for me. I may take slightly longer in the answer, but I'm inspired in part by what's known as the starfish story. And it's actually a mission that's been adopted by our office. So the lawyer version of it has a lawyer who comes across the shore of an ocean and the shore is littered with thousands of starfish. And the lawyer sees a little girl at the edge of the ocean and she's picking up and flipping starfish into the water. And the lawyer goes up to her and says, little girl, what are you doing? And she says, I'm saving starfish. And the lawyer laughs, you know, uproariously. And when he stops laughing, he says, little girl, I've been in the legal profession for 30 years. I've built up corporations. I've broken others. My firm has brought families back together when need be, severed ties with families. We've worked with thousands and thousands of clients. But you, you're a little girl, and there are thousands of starfish washed up here on the shore. How could you possibly make a difference? And the little girl in the story takes the attorney's hand and bends down and picking up a starfish, she flips it into the ocean. And she says, I made a difference to that one. We never know when we're making a difference. Janet and I will go about wellness programming at our schools throughout the year. Sometimes we bang our head against the wall because nobody shows up for this event or that event. But we never know that even even the message of hosting the event or doing it, whether it's one student or no students, but they were aware that it was being held, was making a difference to them, that the school cared, that somebody cared, that there was a place for them to reach back out to if and when they needed to. And so I'm inspired believing, knowing that even though it may be, it may seem, you know, in front of me from time to time, we're making a difference to the students. And by doing that, we're making a difference in their lives. And that's why I'm in the position that I am. And that's why I love what I'm doing. Janet, I hope I didn't steal too much of your thunder. I'm getting a little little teary-eyed, David, but that was a great answer. And in fact, I have several starfish right here on my desk because that that story and that vision really does inspire me each and every day. I'm actually doing this podcast from my office, and I will tell you my my desk is covered with other thank you notes and little gifts or regalitos from other students that I have helped over the years, and becomes a passion to continue to do everything we can, each and every student. It really is a great pleasure and a great joy to be part of this community and to feel that we've had some impact. And as David said earlier, we are always eager for people to, to join our village and to join our movement. And I would absolutely love to talk to anyone who would like to talk more about law student well-being. And I can, can always be reached at the University of Miami to anyone who who might want to talk more about some of these initiatives. Well, this has been such a wonderful, absolutely informative podcast. And with that, it does seem like we have come to the end of our show. We'd like to thank our guests today, David Jaffe and Janet Stearns, for a wonderful program. David and Janet, if our guests would like to follow up with you, what is the best way to do so? For me, you can always find me on the American University Washington College of Law website. Uh, if you'd like to email me directly, of course, D, first initial, last name, Jaffe, D-J-A-F-F-E, at wcl.american.edu. 
And I can always be reached at the University of Miami Law School. You can find me by social media, by our website. My name again is Janet Stearns, which is S-T-E-A-R-N-S. And I respond to every email every day. So I would love to hear from you. Thank you both again for being here with us today. This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Molly Rands. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS, find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. <laughs>